Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you in part by our wonderful backers over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Those fine folk have already heard this episode and are now listening to next week's show ad free, where we're joined by Matthew from Botchamania to talk about Jim Duggan's hilarious celebrity challenge. And we've got an interview with Duncan Willis, who reviews SimCity and says, You want a massive erection in the middle of the high street? You've got it. So join us over on patreon.com forward slash under console pod to get that episode a week early and ad-free. Now on with this episode. Studio, where we all remember the BBC Micro. This is Under Consultation's bonus review of the second best video game challenge TV show, Bad Influence. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, angry that cartridges cost up to £65. And joining Luke for this episode, as always, I am the grottiest of fertilers, Ash Versus. This episode also aired on the 29th of October 1992, like last week's episode, and is our bonus episode looking at Bad Influence. Uh, yeah, aired on the exact same day as Games Master, well, it was episode 5, wasn't it, we did last week? Yeah, what a time to be alive. We're literally a year into having the first video game-based television show on the air, and boom, here's a second show at an earlier time slot, yeah. and very definitely aimed at children. Yeah, this one's 100% made for kids. Uh, not only just by the fact that the uh, the mascots of the show are the, what they, human, humanoids or something? Humanidors, humanidors, yeah. humidors. Yeah. They're humidors. Yeah. <laughs> you keep cigars in them. And, um, I mean, we'll get into the show shortly, but bloody hell, it moves at a breakneck pace. I got dizzy in the first couple of minutes of this episode. This is almost ADHD programming. This is just going at a rate of knots, showing you something really cool, but not even going into the decent bit of info about it. It's like, here's this cool thing. Now let's talk about another cool thing. But by weird coincidence, often not quite as cool as the first cool thing they were going to talk about. 
Yeah, so to give a bit of history on the show, because I was trying to find, you know, stuff that was written about bad influence, but I really couldn't find much. And uh, so I, I reached out to, to both Violet's Berlin, uh, who was one of the hosts, and Andy Crane, who was the other host, who was, you know, a very prominent part of my childhood with What's Up Doc. And, uh, but Andy was the only one who responded to us, and his quote was, I don't remember a thing about it. Um, and so it was only until you sent me across the scans for issue one of the Bad Influence magazine that I sort of found anything about the, the making of this show. I think because it was a children's show, it got a little bit less column inches than, say, Games Master. It was less likely to get complaints, despite its kind of edgy title. And what information there is out there is less in-depth and more casual retrospectives, a lot like what we're doing, uh, mm. Nostalgia Nerd. Uh, did a couple of pieces yeah he did some really really good videos there was essentially just like playing the episode and just chatting along over it like i think he openly admits that he's like it's like 1 a.m when he was recording it and he couldn't sleep so he's like i'm just gonna watch bad influence and record my thoughts uh it's quite a fun little watch actually and also just recently in the past uh, couple of days i saw a chap called rose tinted spectrum has started a youtube retrospective watch along kind of vodcast effort which definitely wins points for my favorite retrospective <laughs> title next to under consultation breaking bad influence oh it's good that's very good that that was that was a doff of the hat and a polite golf clap for that one that that uh that that tickled me that tickled me somewhat but you know an episode by episode retrospective of an old video game tv show that will <laughs> never last uh, no, not at all. Um, no, no one will care. And um, so, yeah. So, bad influence. So, according to issue one of the the bad influence magazine, which actually you know only ran for uh, a couple of issues, two um, to be two, specific. In fact. Yeah, exactly. Um, Patrick uh, Tidley was the man who was the sort of mastermind behind this, and he says that he was kind of working on the idea for two years, and it went through various different names. I think they had tech heads or something and, and a few things overload was another name mega something was megabyte. another like me megabytes that was it but they didn't want it to be too closely tied to the mega drive um but one of the things that you know does does come up in this article about the show is the comparison to games master because at this point in time it's already had its first series done you know it, it aired in january of 1992 we're currently you know six episodes into the second series uh, and his quote was Everyone thinks we did bad influence because we copied the Games Master show on Channel 4, but that's completely untrue. The idea for our show was commissioned by ITV long before the first series of Games Master was seen, and ours is a completely different type of program. Bad influence aims to be like the adult tomorrow's world, but for children with games thrown in. And for those technical minds, we will cover anything that uses digital technology. Little bit on the defensive there. And the thing is, you know what, ITV may have commissioned him, but that doesn't mean that ITV weren't aware of Games Master because it was shopped around various broadcasters and it was turned down. And that doesn't mean that the broadcasters would be switched off of the idea of doing a video game show, just not the one that was presented to them in the kind of proto Games Master. And it very much brings to mind what happened with J. Michael Straczynski. Mm. Because he came up with the idea for Babylon 5. 
He shopped it around to a number of networks, including uh, CBS, and they went, no, no, why would we... We, we do Star Trek, Star Trekking out into the deep space adventure. No one wants to watch a television show locked onto a space station. Go away. <laughs> Coming soon, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now, the people that created Deep Space Nine still maintained they had no idea about JMS's pitch. But there were television executives who were responsible for commissioning DS9 who were. Yeah, completely. And there is nothing to say that a television executive couldn't take someone else's idea and as executives are wont to do, go, we like this idea, but, you know, could you make it a bit more space station-y? L little, little nudges in the directions. So... Yeah, uh, Patrick may be completely innocent, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't some little bit of manipulation further up the ladder. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, as you say, because there is a you know a character on this show, and he is a character, Nam Rude, uh, who is giving hints and tips in the exact, not the exact same way that the Games Master would, but one of the sort of like real standouts and sort of memorable things of Games Master is the consultation zone. And Nam Rude is essentially providing the same thing. The data blast is a slightly different variation of that, where you've got to record it. We'll go into that in a bit more, where you've got to record the show and then play it back frame by frame to get all of the information from the data blast. Um, but the sort of the one, you know, the things that really separate it apart is kind of what we were talking about earlier, which is that this moves at a breakneck pace. It is so quick. Like in this show, they've got previews of Sonic 2 and Streets of Rage 2, but barely anything is shown of either game. And they've got reviews of Joe and Mac, and they've got reviews of Smash TV and the Game Gear, and like a couple of things sort of potted around but nothing's ever really given enough time to to develop and the majority of the show it feels like is taken up by z Wright's um thing that he does out in the states about virtual reality we'll get to that in a bit which i think is actually very much a bad influence we're going to show you this but we'll get to that in a bit <laughs> it's worth saying before we dive into the episode you mentioned Nam Rude, and one thing I do love from this first issue of Bad Influence magazine is they have a picture of him in all his kind of grotty, skinhead, proto-punk, looking like he's just walked off the set of a remake of Pink Floyd's The Wall. Because mm. there's a bit in there where Bob Geldof shaves off all his hair and shaves off his eyebrows. It kind of looks like this. <laughs> but they've got a picture of him, and it then just says in the caption, Andy Weir, 23-year-old national theatre actor. <laughs> and I just felt a bit sorry for him at that point because you know what? It was a paying gig. It was a paying gig in the early 90s and it was three seasons worth. He wasn't in the fourth season. They no. cut him from the fourth season because apparently girls didn't like him. Oh, really? Is that the reason why? That was the reason given. Uh, I would say that one of the issues could be he actually often overshadowed the other two. Because Violet becomes like the big star of this show, I would say. Like, I, I really, really liked, uh, you know, and remember very fondly Violet Berlin. Because they've got this, this, you know, American correspondent, Z Wright. And he does get replaced eventually as well in series four by Violet Berlin. She becomes the roving reporter and she goes around because in series two, they go, she goes to visit the production of Micro Machines 2 and she gets put into the game. And that's like, I remember playing Micro Machines 2 and being like, oh my God, Violet Berlin's in this game. This comes on to something we sometimes hit with Games Master, which is um, Andy was there and he was doing a job. And this was a guy that would become, and 
almost was at this point a children's television icon. He was very well known and very well respected. Also quite good at playing kind of the straight man kind of role. Yeah. But you would never look at him and go, video games are your passion or you're into tech. Yeah, no, completely. Violet just kind of gave off this kind of alt geek nerd a uh, little bit punk, but also a genuine passion and interest and enthusiasm. She was also this kind of tiny little peroxide head <laughs> ball of energy that was one, both immediately friendly and approachable, and you felt like it would be awesome to talk to, but also, by jingo, she became a crush for so <laughs> many teenage boys and so many teenage boys' dads, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Auntie Marisha had some stiff competition. <laughs> yeah, I think she really is the, the for me, she's the the star of this show. And like you talk about Andy Crane, the the first issue of Bad Influence magazine has interviews with both of them. And in it, the very first question is, what's your favorite video game? Well, you know, what do you like about video games? And Andy Crane has nothing to say. Like he literally goes like, I don't play them as much as I should. Uh, I think Sonic's quite good. Super Mario World looks all right, but I've not really seen a lot of it. You compare that to Violet's interview where they ask her basically the exact same questions. She has got so much to say. She talks about how she was obsessed with technology as a teenager. She loved video games as a growing up. And so, you know, she got onto this show because she applied to be part of the research team and she wasn't the original choice. I think she was like third pick as injury. She was the third person to audition for it. And they picked her because she was knowledgeable about the stuff that they were talking about. And I think that really shines through. Andy Crane is very much there to be, I am a host. I have got cue cards. I have got a prompter that tells me what I need to say next. And you know what? I'm going to do that in one take and you will not need a second. But Violet's there to really provide the energy and the knowledge. And to tie it back to what they were saying about wanting to be kind of a younger, hipper tomorrow's world... And I find that somewhat baffling because as a kid, I used to watch Tomorrow's World. Maybe that says more about me <laughs> than uh, than it does about Tomorrow's World. But the best people on Tomorrow's World were the people that got what they were talking about. Mm. There were more than just news anchors looking for a bit of extra paycheck or something that's, you know, not seven nights a week. It was the people that kind of had the scientific brain, had the degrees, had the PhDs, that got what they were talking about on Tomorrow's World, that elevated it above fluff pieces about spreading jam on CDs. I still remember <laughs> that. I still haven't <laughs> forgiven them. <laughs> this new long-playing record looks very similar to a video disc we've shown you before. The surface is covered by a layer of transparent plastic, so you don't have to worry about grubby fingers or even scratches. Right, well, let's talk about the show itself. Uh, um, and it no, 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 no. Let's talk about the title sequence. <laughs> okay, because well, we this title sequence is all of the 90s. It's all of the early 90s. It's all of CITV. It is both amazing and terrible at the same time. Yeah, it really does scream 1992. We have got... Uh, Andy Crane and Violet Berlin against a uh, well, a blue screen, I believe it uh, that it was, and then you've got the I keep getting the humanoid, the humidors, uh, hum humidors, sort of running alongside, them. like the, essentially Violet and Andy jump into a video game and then sort of like run alongside them. Well, Andy tries to jump in because, <laughs> but you know, 
does a bit of an Inspector Clouseau, smacks his head on the top of a television, which is impressive because this is like a nine television screen matrix. Now, <laughs> I know Violet was small enough to jump through without having to duck at all, but come on, lad, spatial awareness. But I love that when they show them playing this game at the beginning, you've got Violet Berlin appears to have the Mega Drive pad. She knows what the score is. She knows what's needed for, you know, a decent arcade platformer. Andy is just doing something with a joystick. It's a cool one. It's a clear case. Hiya, welcome to Bad Influence, the only place you'll be able to see moving screenshots of the very latest games. Check this out, Streets of Rage 2. And the main review this week is Joe and Matt's Caveman Ninja on the SNES. Our panel gives their opinion. And I'll be reporting from the world's leading virtual reality research lab. And it's pretty dangerous work, I can tell you. Z Wright, our American reporter. And we'll be seeing more of Z, including the rest of his face, later on in the program. Andy Crane welcomes us to the show to say it's the only place you're going to see moving screenshots of video games. Videos. Is it? They're called is videos. It, also, is it now, Andy? Are we trying to pretend the Games Master's not been on the ship, not been on the air for about a year at this point? Well, you say that, and actually, they really are. In this first episode, at least, I did... After I watched the first episode, I did watch the second episode. And within the first few minutes of that, they actually do make reference to Games Master. Because mm. Andy's trying to um, destroy a VCR with a large oversized prop mallet for reasons. Um, <laughs> and he's about to do it. And Violet shouts, no, don't. We need that to record Games Master. <laughs> <laughs> Can I do it now, Violet? Oh, yeah. Video to record Games Master. Fair enough. Oh, that's wonderful. It's smart um, as well because that level of denial and assuming that because people are watching CITV, they won't watch Games Master on Channel 4, it's a little bit naive and also it's a little bit egotistical. And the one thing that Bad Influence really has over Games Master as well is that Games Master's already in the can. Like, you know, it's the majority of all of its stuff is already filmed, but this is being filmed week to week. You know, because they've got a competition later on where they're like, you need to get your entrance in by Monday so we can pick out a winner. Um, so they are like, they can have new stuff really, you know, they, they show Streets of Rage 2 as their one of their big previews of this. So they do have the, the advantage to be almost ahead of the curve in a technology world that was moving very quickly. They're kind of the mirror opposite of Games Master in that respect. They've got pre-tapes like at least one of the segments we'll get to a bit later, that are then inserted into the kind of the weekly recorded uh, news and review section, whereas Games Master was mostly taped and then they dropped in the bits and pieces that were done for the news and the reviews that were a little bit more up to date. Yeah. If you're into computer games, then the Bad Influence Studio is the place to be. Why? Well, we've got such a range of equipment. Everything from this... Remember this, the 10-year-old BBC Micro, to the very latest in handhelds that Kate's got here. This is called a quick shot supervision. What are you playing on it? I'm playing Chris Ball. 
Uh, so yeah, we've got previews of Streets of Rage 2. Violet Berlin tells us that Joe and Mac is going to get reviewed later on, and Z Wright will take us through VR. And then we get a good shot of the studio as well, which looks awesome. And Andy Crane takes us over to a BBC Micro to tell us that that's old technology. Now it's all about the quick shot supervision with a girl that is playing what I originally wrote was Prisball, and then after some research found it was called Crisball. It's called bobbins because that's pretty much what the quick shot supervision is or the Watara supervision. It was meant to be a cut price Game Boy and it was a cut price Game Boy with everything that you would assume to come from it being a cut price Game Boy. It had a couple of disadvantages. Uh, the biggest of which is it had no major labels, it had no major studios and it had no existing IPs. Also, the Game Boy had a three-year head start. Yes, That's a absolutely. big big negative it did have a unique feature at that time though it could be linked up to a television you could plug it into a tv and you could play the supervision games on a tv in four color kind of like the uh the super game boy would allow us to do down the road so i'll give them credit for that but other than that that looks like a really cheap toy of a Star Trek The Next Generation tricorder. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I had a look at the lineup of games that you could get, and I, the, the one that jumped out to me was Alien. And I was like, oh, wow, they managed to get a game that was based on the Alien franchise. But no, after some uh, YouTube searching, found out that it's not based on the movie. It's just a scrolling shooter. And I'll be honest, for 1992, it looked quite old. They were trying to make something more affordable than the Game Boy but the mistake they made was that anything cheaper than the Game Boy to make would also look worse than the Game Boy. And the Game Boy at times was often outperformed by the Game Gear or even the Lynx, but it had the sweet point. It had the sweet spot of the price v performance v battery life. The Quick Shot did have a longer battery life. Oh, cool. Yeah, because no one played it. Fred <laughs> yeah. and Dina, our two humanosaur characters in the video called, were created on a paint package like this one. If you use a computer to do your painting, you can do all the things that pens and papers can do, and more. For example, I can do freehand drawing here, but then I can choose a square brush and a bigger brush, any size or shape, and a different colour at the flick of a switch. And uh, that O's not very good there, so I can choose any shape I want, be it a square or a circle, and get the perfect circle there. And then I fill it in really, really quickly. And instead of using rulers for lines, you can say where you want your line to begin, where you want it to end, let go, and hey presto. Violet talks about this kid playing the Neo Geo, and then she walks over to an Amiga 600. Now, I wanted to point out at this point, so... So far, Andy Crane has welcomed us to the show. He will give a short preview of Streets of Rage 2. We talk about Joe and Matt getting reviewed. Z-Wright's going to take us through VR. We get a shot of the studio. Talk about the BBC Micro, the quick shot, and the Neo Geo. This show at this point is 90 seconds old, including credits. 90 seconds! I think with Games Master, the intro credits itself are 90 seconds. Particularly for season two. Yeah. And- I felt exhausted by this point because it was moving at a breakneck speed. And I was like, wait, can we go back to Streets of Rage 2? I mean, even the quick shot. Let's see some more of that because God knows they love that thing because it appears in promo pictures from all the way through season one. Violet is often seen to be holding that little quick shot 
piece of crap. But I liked that they showed the Neo Geo. I liked that they immediately kind of tried to show we are covering everything. I take exception to the BBC Micro thing because he's like, oh, look at this. It's 10 years old and it's covered in detritus and dust and cobwebs, you know, that are definitely genuine and not just thrown <laughs> there by a prop guy. And that blows my mind because he's saying this is 10 years old. And I'm not holding Andy up for this. This is whoever wrote this bit. Oh, yeah, totally. He's saying it's 10 years old and therefore it is worthless and crap. What's the average age of your viewers? <laughs> yeah. You are telling your viewers that once they are 10, they're done. Also, I'm pretty sure in 1992, I was still using the BBC Micro at school. I started working in a sixth form college in 2002 and the physics lab still had two BBC Micros that were still being used for the simple reason that there were sensor sets and hardware kits that were gratuitously expensive or just didn't exist at that point for a PC running Windows 98. I uh, I take exception to the next segment of this show because, you know, we were talking about how We've got, uh, you know, the the Neo Geo. We have got the, the even the Quick Shot Streets of Rage Two. But then Violet goes across to an Amiga Six Hundred to write her name down and make it do a bit of sort of a light show. And then you can even print it off and say that it looks a bit rubbish. And I thought, I'll be honest, this is where I realised, oh, this is definitely for kids. It was definitely for kids. I felt this bit may also be a bit for the parents that might have been watching with their kids because then if the kid goes, I want an Amiga 600, and hey, smart kid. But if that kid wants an Amiga 600, sure, he can play Lemmings. Sure, he can play Zool. Sure, he can play Top Banana and fail. But he could also get a paint package and he could do things on that other than his name. And so I liked it. And also it felt genuine because, you know what? She wasn't very good. She admitted she wasn't very good, but she did it in real time. And they even left the mistake in when she went back and did the erased, the undo, and she just rolled with it. So yeah. while, yes, it very much cemented that this was for kids, I actually really liked how it was done. And I would argue I would rather have more segments of that than let's make music with a Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> or well, this is how we're going to market Sega. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my note was like, that was a bit rubbish. More time should have been spent looking at the Neo Geo because that's what I wanted to be looking at. Because it was like, Neo Geo, now it's time to use this little paint thing. And I'm like, no, I want to look at the Neo Geo. What the, what's he playing? There'll be time for that because they did revisit the Neo Geo. They were trying to hook people in on this first episode. Uh, it doesn't slow down much in the future, but it does slow down a little bit. This was like yeah, a pitch I, reel in, in 19 minutes. I also think that mistake that she made was on purpose. I think she, uh, she worked that mistake to show the fact that you could undo. and uh, show, Because, like, you know, if you're drawing at home and you make an error, you have to try and rub something out, you might still get that faint line there. Aha, but if you do it on Deluxe Paint Cycle for the Amiga 600, you get rid of it completely. And you can even save it to floppy disk or print it. Or if you don't have a printer... Record over the cup final. It's fine. And also, you can't get anything past me. The picture that she holds up, she prints it out, is not the same one that is on the screen. I see past you, Violet. I see your little TV tricks. Oh, look at you busting down myths <laughs> on a 27-year-old TV show. <laughs> uh, and then we get this line. Or print it out. 
and keep forever. Actually, this one's not very good, is it? I think I'll give it to Andy as a present. I don't think Ralph Harris has got too much to worry about, has he? Well, Speaking of things that haven't aged well, uh, right, let's try and move on, shall we? Neil Buchanan was good. I loved Art Attack. Loved Art Attack. Do you know what I also loved? Super Mario Paint on an American SNES. I mean, we know that they use American or Japanese Super Nintendos or Super Famicoms on Games Master, but you know what? They never f***ing show them. They never have them <laughs> slap bang in the middle of the screen. That was a bit... Ooh. It was. It was cool. Yeah. I was like, I was like, that's an American SNES. And I wanted to see more of that. I wanted to see more of Super Mario Paint. But Andy is more interested in showing off the Bad Influence t-shirts, which, you know, I, I'd be very interested to know if any of our listeners out there have got a Bad Influence t-shirt or they got a t-shirt at the time. In the meantime, though, we do want to hear from you. If you've got computer-generated pictures, animations, graphics, anything we show on telly, we'll get this one, the Bad Influence t-shirt. We'd also like to hear from you, well, if you've got any views on anything to do with computer games, consoles, video games, and we'll give you the address to write to at the end of the programme. In fact, the address and loads of other bits of information will be in what we're going to call the Data Blast. To access it, all you need is this, your humble video recorder. Video the last minute or so of the programme, including the credits, which is the boring bit where everybody who made the show's names goes across the screen. Then when you've done that, rewind it and play it back. But don't play it back at full speed using your pause and your frame advance if you've got one on your video, spool through it slowly, and up to 50 pages of information will be at your disposal, including, look at this, some excellent cheats. I didn't know these Batman level codes. But you can send in your pictures and animations, and to get the details for that, you need to decode the data blast. So this is a really cool part of the show. I mean, it comes right at the end. But Andy takes us through it here, which is you need to record the show via video and then go through it frame by frame, if you can. And there are 50 pages of information in sort of like this, you know, 30 second span. And it includes, you know, news about video games and stuff and technology, but also cheats for things like Super Mario World and Batman. The Data Blast was a great concept. It was marred if your video recorder did not have an advanced frame button. Uh, what I really like about the Data Blast, we'll go into it a bit more when it comes up later on in the show, but I, and one of the things I kind of really liked about watching this in hindsight, you know, with, with 27 years of, of hindsight behind us, is that it really wants you to record this show. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's like a segment with Namrud later on where he talks about a level code for Dr. Franken where he just slaps it on his forehead, doesn't read it out, so if you've got that game and you need that code, you have had to have recorded this show, otherwise you were going to miss it. I had to record this show because I didn't get home from school most days because I had a long bus journey home. I was right at the end of the line and then had to be picked up by my parents because of how catchment areas work. That's a separate podcast and really boring, but long story short, <laughs> I had an hour-plus journey to school in each direction so i wouldn't get home most days until five o'clock so bad influence i had to record and also because we were in a very rural area we frequently had little power blips during the day rarely did a week go by in my childhood when the vcr didn't suddenly start flashing zeros because mm. the clock had gone where the power had gone and there wasn't a battery backup so it was a real crapshoot trying to record anything from that children's ITV time slot. Ah, hello, you slimy flirtless. Namrud here. If it exists, 
I've cracked it. And quite frankly, you haven't. Right, we're going to start with something really easy for those of you with small brains and blue hedgehogs. Sonic. When he appears on the screen and waves his finger, press up, down, left, right, then quickly hit the A and start buttons together. All the levels are then listed on the screen. So you can select just which level you like. Violet, this is what level two looks like. Well, speaking of Nam Rude, he is the games master of this show uh, to show us some level select cheats. And the first one he's going to show is the cheat that I think pretty much everyone knows at this point. It's the level select for Sonic the Hedgehog. And he says it's easy for kids with small brains. And then shouts at Violet Berlin. Be like, hey, Violet, this is what level two looks like. Paul's little face and I was like, oh, slam on Violet there. She can't even get off level one. That's also a really good Namrude impression. <laughs> Both audibly, which obviously our listeners can hear, but your facial expressions during that Thanks, were spot mate. on. I'd forgotten how much I liked Namrude because while it was very, very clear that Patrick Moore often didn't know what the hell he was talking about, <laughs> Namrude talks absolutely convincingly. He... he throws these words around he has his own patter his own slang and it's a great bit of a character which still blows my mind as to why they got rid of him in season four unless as i suspect it's because he was overshadowing other people yeah i remembered nam rude before we went back and started this crazy games master journey i remembered violet berlin i'd forgotten andy crane Sorry, yeah. Andy. I remember no, you no. from other things. I just didn't remember you from this. Yeah, no, completely. I'd actually forgotten that Andy was one of the hosts on this. Violet, but completely. But I don't really. I must have remembered Namrud somewhere in the the recess of my mind. But for me, it was it was Violet. Um, and she then introduces us to our first review of the show, which is on Joe and Mac for the Super Nintendo. And one of the other things I did like about uh, Bad Influence is that. The reviews aren't done by games journalists. They're not done by industry tech experts. They're done by kids, kids that are watching this show. Okay, this is great fun to play. It's really fast. It's good graphics. Oh, I've just fallen down a hole. When this happens, a little angel comes up. You jump over, you've got to hit all the pterodactyls, fall down another hole, um, jump over. What you've got to do is you've got to kill all these uh, Neanderthal cavemen. And they stole all your women folk. So you've got to battle through each level to kill that. There's lots of good things to do. Jumping, hitting people with your clubs. Basically, you've just got to run through and save everyone. Okay, I'm now on level six, and this is where you're in the frozen caverns. I just picked up some rocks, they're different weapons. Um, it's a great fun game. The graphics are smooth and cartoony. The sound effects are excellent, especially on this level where it sounds as though you actually are in the cavern. I just hit two Neanderthal men with my rocks. And now I'm running up to get the bonus, which is extra health. All the platforms are slipping, which makes it give that added realism. The music is different on every level, and that adds to the game. It makes it really addictive, and it's easy to pick up as well. It gets progressively harder as you go on. There's different dinosaurs, lots of different baddies, and it stops you getting bored. And the good thing about this game is, if you've got a friend, there's also a two-player option. One of the best things about it is these end-of-level sprites. It's great fun to play, and I'd probably buy it. Looking forward to seeing it on the Game Boy. It has its positives, and it has its negatives. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you're absolutely... Yes. It's a good idea in principle. <laughs> Lots of things are good ideas in principles. 
Yeah. It runs into an issue we do get on Games Master, which is where the kids are not necessarily blessed with being naturals on the camera. That they can't help. What they could help, and which is an issue right off the bat with Joe and Mac, is asking the kids to talk about the games whilst they're playing them. Yeah. And that's why we see our first reviewer die three times in a row. And it could have been avoided if you just let him either talk or play or had him sat next to another kid who was playing while he was talking. Yeah, because he literally goes like, yeah, this is Joe and Mac for the suit. Oh, no, I've, I've died there. Um, but it's OK, because when you die, you get brought back and um, you, you jump over here. Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've died again there. There's lots of good things to do. Trying to think of things to say as opposed to, oh, no, I've just died again. You know, it's about you got to kill Neanderthals as, as they've stolen your woman folk. Uh, lots of good <laughs> things to do. They then jump ahead to level six to show off the different weapons. It's a great fun game. Uh, and then says... It goes like, I really like the end of level sprites. I can't wait to see this on the Game Boy. And then the, my favourite line from this review is the little girl that pops up next that says, I like the caveman idea and the birds are brilliant. I like the caveman idea and the birds are brilliant. I'm guessing she means the pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah. I actually went and played this uh, after the review came up because I remember Joe and Mac at the time because the adverts for it were everywhere it's held up pretty well i would argue that the statement of oh it's super fast because i'm playing it and i'm playing an ntsc rom of joe and mac so no slowdown no power conversion i would not describe this game as fast mm. it's no sonic and it's no mario it does have the overworld of mario which is kind of cool but the uh, the Game Boy port, he would have to wait a while longer for. That didn't come out until like 1993. It was one of the last ports, and I think the only one that came after it was one for the Mega Drive, mm. which is probably still available in Brazil right now because Brazil <laughs> loved the Mega Drive. Yeah, we actually get a Joe and Mac challenge, I think, coming up in a future episode of Games Masters. So, it's right uh, around the corner. Yeah, it's really, really close by. So the final scores for Joe and Mac, the boys gave it four out of five. And the girls gave it four out of five. Um, and this is where we find out that the reviews for Bad Influence are split into genders. So they grab the boys together to give it one score and all the girls together to give it one score. And for Joe and Mac, the boys gave it four uh, out of five. And so did the girls. This is probably the most early 90s and CITV aspect of this next to the title sequence. The gendering of review scores. It dates the show. It felt like a way of them justifying having the two mascots because the mascots are key to the review system as one of each of them takes each side and reacts depending on the review score. If it's four stars, they're all fist pumping, hands in the air. If it's a lower score, they're yawning and so on and so forth. I did get a bit of a, a chuckle out of that, actually, because the Bad Influence magazine does, you know, go at, to some lengths to describe that and talk about how they've got the various different animations but then when you get into the actual review portion of the magazine it's done in percentages i'm like well choose a format lads i mean i do actually have a simple explanation for that one uh pretty much all the reviews were uh, scraped from other magazines for the most part oh really if you look at the beginning of the first issue thanks to st action amiga action Game Boy Action, Super Action, Amiga Computing Gamer, ST User Gamer, 
PC Today, PC Home, Acorn Computing, and Sega Force. Now, while some of the reviews in the magazine do have little box outs from Violet, particularly on things like Street Fighter 2 and whatnot, it feels like they may have just kind of gone yoink. Let's do some copy paste, maybe a bit of rewrite, but use essentially the meat of other reviews to make their own. I could be wrong, but I do also notice that when I'm looking at the credits down the side, I see four people. <laughs> All right. An editor, an art and design editor, an assistant editor, and a production editor. There's no there's no bars out. There's no reviewers. There's very few writers there. There's a lot of editors <laughs> yeah. doing a lot of editing. But it would also explain some of the usual games that they uh, that they review in this first issue. Uh, because do you remember on Games Master, a few issues back, we had a consultation zone entry for Rex Nebula and the Cosmic Genderbenders. Yes, which for some reason I called uh, Rex Nublar in the uh, in the actual... When I was editing back, I was like, how did I manage to get that wrong? I thought you were just trying to sound sophisticated. <laughs> but magazine for bad influence, children's computer video game show. This magazine has a review for Rex Nebula. But not uh, and the Cosmic Genderbenders, it's just... Rex New <laughs> Rex Nublar. Yes, yeah, just Rex, Rex Nublar. But while it may be missing its subtitle, there is a screenshot with nipples <laughs> and not the male variety. That one skipped past the censor somewhat. Yeah, I mean, come on, there's only a few people working on this magazine. Uh, editors literally got one job. The best bit is, is not only does that screenshot have nipples, the caption attached to it is actually for a different picture elsewhere on the page. <laughs> So this really was slapped together in places, it felt. Go and get a pen and paper for this one. Pauses. Continues. The word of the week is level code. Well, actually, it's two words. It's a way of jumping levels that you've already completed in a game. For example, this is a game called Dr. Franklin on the Game Boy. At the start of the game, you can choose to enter a level code. Of course, there's only two ways you can discover the codes. After each level, they're displayed on the screen or... You can copy this down. You'll start on level four. Triassic. Namrud shows us a level code for Dr. Franken on the Game Boy, uh, suggesting we get a pen and paper for it because the word of the week is level code. And he, this is where he slaps uh, a piece of like plastic with the level code written on it. So they really want you to record this show because like between him saying grab a pen and paper, you had no time to go and grab it and then write it down. Unless you recorded the show, you were not getting this level code. Again, I really like the presentation of this. I love the fact that it was on handwritten pieces of card with double-sided tape on it. Did you, did you ever play Dr. Franken on the Game Boy? I want to say yes, but don't ask me to tell you anything about it. <laughs> I'm wondering if a friend had it and I borrowed it because I saw this code in Bad Influence. <laughs> we did swapses. God knows what I'd have swapped with him for it because I didn't have many games for the Game Boy. Andy, I'm on level four. Well, Violet boasts that she's now on level four and Andy Crane dismisses her enthusiasm. At a proper dad voice of, very good. <laughs> it really was. Keep 
Baby Skips have had a few changes. Here's a closer look at the snack that melts hot, in your hot, mouth. Hot, 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 hot from Rio Chile. Caribbean Spice Korea. There it is. The melt you love is now a touch more lively. Some days. <laughs> you just on form. Take Sonic to level six. You crack every game. You make all the right moves. How do I do that? Some days. Just glad they invented this. All you good fools watching telly. Yeah, they do that. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. We really hope you're enjoying it. Our wonderful £5 backers over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod have already heard this and have now got access to next week's episode, without this annoying bit, where we are joined by Matthew from Botchamania to talk about WWF's hacksaw Jim Duggan being a lunatic, and we speak with Duncan Willis, who reviews SimCity and KGB on the show. After I'd done my review, and the other people have reviewed it as well, that they couldn't use the review in the show because the manufacturer of the game had been very unhappy about a previous review uh, on Games Master of one of their products and so withdrew their permission. Get next week's under consultation a week early and ad free over at patreon.com forward slash under pod. Thank you so much for listening. We interrupt this children's TV program to bring you a news flash. There are reports coming in of a series of breakouts by gangs of comic characters from secure environments around the country. 
Their ringleader, Simon Perry, commander in cheese of the Maidstone Cheese Rangers and a fanatical follower of firm but fashionable footwear, is believed to be leading this gang towards Maidstone in Kent. A spokesperson for the homing office described them as the most ordinary bunch of no-good, low-down, horns-woggling, proper fish for brains, Egypts, as whatever was on the telly. A right set of Ronans and no mistake. Police with big dogs are tracking the gang across the country and advise the general public to bring pets and elderly relatives indoors. Nail all windows shut and watch ITV for further developments. On no account should these crazy comic characters be approached. They're armed and dangerous, apart from Balgit, who's just a ball of useless and unwanted hair. Well, this is the end of the news flash, and I can now return you to the relative safety of your children's television program. Thank you. What a little rubbish. First American reports from Z Wright, who's on a sightseeing tour of Seattle. Well, virtually. Seattle, capital of Northwest America. Often called the Emerald City, Seattle curves around the rim of Elliott Bay. That has to be my best sightseeing trip ever, and I didn't have to walk a step. That slide through view of Seattle only exists inside a computer, but it felt pretty real to me. It's called virtual reality, and it's one of the newest ways for computers to present complicated information. This takes up a quite a large portion of the show, and I would say it's not that interesting. It's one of the few sections in this show that could have actually done with being trimmed a bit. And it's yeah. not because this nascent virtual reality is uninteresting in itself this is groundbreaking stuff one of the things i love is one of the first couple of headsets he's trying on is literally held together with spit and tape it looks like something doc brown would make after smacking his head on a cistern it's proper prototyping stuff but it's hindered a little bit by z himself when you have this nice actual helicopter video footage of seattle and then it cuts across to this duplo block cgi seattle and the first thing he says coming out of it is oh my god it was so realistic i you know couldn't believe i wasn't really there and it's like really mate be a bit realistic these fantastic worlds are not just fun to fly in they demonstrate important new developments in computer science they were made here at seattle's human interface technology laboratory or hit lab HitLab was set up because there was a demand for this technology in many, many fields. Architects wanted it, uh, doctors wanted it. But it was exciting to get this snapshot of where we were at that time. We get a couple of talking heads and a couple of different people that are working with virtual reality in this show. And one of the people they talk to is the director of the Human Interface Technology Lab, HitLab, Suzanne Weghorst. Spoilers! She's still there. Wow. She is still at that university. She's still working with virtual reality. She's much more heavily leading into the medical side of things now. But that little bit of info actually made this more interesting to me because this wasn't just someone doing a research project that would go nowhere and end in a dead end for their career. She's still there and she is now like kind of 
even higher than director. She's somewhere way up the top. And therefore, maybe that changed my perspective on that this piece because I saw her section and it just made me happy because it's like you probably could not have predicted in 1991 or 92 that you would still be doing this 28 years later. Yeah, that, that, that's quite cool. And actually, there's a show on Channel 4 at the moment because there's a line in this where Z talks about how architects uh, are looking to use virtual reality to kind of create, you know, 3D floor plans that people can walk through. There's a show on Channel 4 at the moment that is using that technology. So it's people who are looking to renovate their house and architects put together two competing floor plans that they can do. And the homeowners walk through their house using virtual reality to kind of see what they've created. So I thought that was actually quite cool to sort of see like the how it sort of started here and while it, it's being used for now. The only thing I'd say that's a big difference, particularly with the architecture perspective, it is in very widespread use now, but a lot of the times it's not used with a VR headset. It's just mm. an Xbox One controller or a DualShock yeah. 4 or whatever because they just need to be able to move around. They don't necessarily need to go full Lawnmower Man. Well, we'll talk about Lawnmower Man in just a moment. At the moment, this is just a prototype we use in Science Lab. But a big game company is already working with the Hit Lab. Who knows? One day you may take a dip with Mario or Sonic. Um, there's a line from Z that really did uh, catch my ear as well, and it would have caught my ear as a young lad in 1992, which is during the bit where they're playing this sort of shark game and it's got stereo sound to tell you where the fish are, and he says that big companies are working with the Hit Lab so we could see a Mario or Sonic game in virtual reality at some point. Would this have been Nintendo already talking about the Virtual Boy, maybe? Yeah, because we must be close to the Virtual Boy, right? Because that, that gets released in 95... It was released in 95, but it did have a good four to five year development cycle. The first prototype and uh, boot screen wasn't seen until like the year before it launched. But they'd been working on it for a good amount of time because it was um, kind of using existing technology. I mean, if you look at a virtual boy, uh, one, just look at the outside. Don't look at the inside because red lasers and migraines. But... It very much resembles some of the VR technology that we're seeing in this piece. Mm. So there's there's a chance. There's a chance that Nintendo certainly talked to them, even if they didn't end up partnering with them in the end. You mentioned that this came up during the shark catcher simulator, whatever. And I love the thing about the stereo sound and the use of spatial positioning because I'm a big fan of that in games. I love it when, whether by headphones or surround sound systems, that you get immersed in a game. And he says that that will be used in this game to help you hunt sharks by using sound to be able to identify where they are. Now, unless you're Bruce in Jaws the Revenge, sharks are not known for their distinct roars. <laughs> so i am really curious as to what noises those were unless it was just kind yeah. of a bloop, 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 bloop. i was gonna say I, I assumed it was just the movement of the water but then again that almost sounds like a bit too far-fetched maybe they thought it was roars maybe the only exposure to sharks that those people had had was jaws the revenge and they went well obviously sharks roar and <laughs> swim backwards and i don't know eat helicopters by Michael Caine's parents, nice houses. Yeah. The future's looking really good. Instead of buckets and wires, you'll be able to slip into cyberspace as easy as putting on a pair of specs. 
This is Z-Right for Bad Influence in Seattle. Sorry, in cyberspace. Uh, so Zero ends off this segment by saying that the virtual reality helmets won't always be this size. They'll soon be the size of glasses. So he puts on Geordie LaForge's glasses uh, to show us what the future will look like. We're not there yet. Where's my flying car? <laughs> happening place to be. A very happening place to be, cyberspace. See you next week. If you saw films like Lawnmower Man, you might have thought that virtual reality was more realistic than that. But these pictures show us exactly where virtual reality is at at the moment. In the film, it's just special effects. And then it cuts back to the studio, and Violet Bullen says in so many words, Lawnmower Man is a lying piece of shit. <laughs> uh, these are real images of what virtual reality looks like. I was wondering who she was speaking to then, because none of the kids watching this show that it was aimed at should be watching Lawnmower Man. Isn't it weird, though? Like, cause Lawnmower Man is not a movie for kids. Really, but really not. But all of these shows around this time talked about Lawnmower Man because it was, you know, this sort of big sort of virtual reality, 3D, you know, whatever it was. And it, I always, I just remember it being across a lot of kids' shows. It was across kids' shows. There were trailers. There was a Super Nintendo video game. There was, um, I think there was Mega Drive and Game Boy versions as well, yeah, which totally. when you think of it is hilarious given what the film was portraying. Yeah, I didn't see Lord Mower Man at the time. I didn't see it for a long time. Um, was I disappointed when I did see it? Yes. <laughs> I think a lot of people that saw it at the time were disappointed as well. And then Andy kind of explains to us that, yeah, look, TV is 2D. So all of the stuff you just saw then doesn't actually look as cool as it does. But believe me, it's ace in real life for what his opinion is worth, which literally he says. But I love that when he's describing the difference between 2D and 3D, he's doing big fish, little fish, cardboard box. Cardboard box, yeah. Sonic's back, and this time he's brought a friend. We're playing the Mega Drive version here. Once again, you take Sonic on a high-speed chase through lots of levels to collect rings. His foxy friend's called Tails because he's got two. And in the two-player option, you can actually take a character each and race through the levels. Sonic goes faster than he did on the first game, and Tails can use both those tails and fly like a helicopter. The finished version is scheduled for worldwide release on November 24th. So look out for that. Uh, right, well, we get a uh, bunch load of previews now. The first one is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is just around the corner for us. And my God. Okay, Games Master got there first with the video, but we see these guys playing this and check out that prototype board wobbling out the top of that mega drive that's a <laughs> leaning tower chips that's got some that's got some heft to it that is something i'm appreciating about this show spoilers this show is not a big enough part of my life for me want to follow on games master and do a retrospective of it <laughs> but i may check some more of them out in my spare time because this showing of people really interacting with this hardware and the prototypes and the imports, it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bad Influence was a big part of my... Like, if it sounds like I'm down on this episode, I'm, I'm actually really not. I really enjoyed re-watching this and, you know, and its breakneck pace. But this was actually quite a big part of my, you know, going home after school to watch Bad Influence. And, you know, Andy Crane, What's Up Doc was a huge, huge part of my Saturday mornings. That's where I saw things like Batman, the animated series, and Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures. Tasmania. So, and Tasmania, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, all the Warner Brothers stuff, which was great during the early 90s. Um, so, yeah, like, this was a, a really big part of it. And seeing them play, not just Sonic 2, two-player Sonic 2 as well, which, oh, man, I like that... The idea of being able to play two-player Sonic the Hedgehog was 
just that's that was mouthwatering at the time even though i don't know who was playing as sonic but they're very very bad at this game it was probably andy that was my thinking as well don't forget also the future entertainment show from the 5th to the 8th of november at earl's court all the latest in video games and virtual reality will be there and so will the bad influence film crew future will be hosting the first bad influence national games championship the preliminary round started across the country last week and judging by the prizes, the Manchester winner Jeff Treasure walked away with the finger fiddling and joystick juggling is well worth it. We also find out that the future entertainment show is at Earl's Court on November 5th and 8th and Bad Influence are going to be there where they're holding a National Games Championship and they cover the Manchester prelim winner who won himself a Mega Drive and a SNES in what really tugged at my nostalgia heartstrings in a virgin megastore. Oh, yeah, that, that little plastic bag just to show where this was held. Oh, oh my virgin megastore in Reading. The hours spent in virgin megastore in Reading, particularly when we were teenagers, because that was our central meeting point. So we'd all get different buses into Reading Town Centre, and you'd, you know, this is the days before mobile phones to find out where people were. And it was, yeah, you would you would always meet outside the Virgin Megastore because that was always going to be our first port of call. Funny enough, actually, my wife and I were in Reading not too long ago for my brother's birthday. And we were walking past and I pointed to, because it's not there anymore, obviously, it's now a Metro Bank. And I was like, see that there? That used to be a Virgin Megastore. Oh. And that's where we always used to meet because my bus, the 16 bus, used to drop me off just, to, just across the way. I remember my Virgin Megastore was the one in Cheltenham. And... My main memory of it was it was multi-story, which I loved. I think it was two or three. Rarely went to the third floor. That was classical music and stuff <laughs> like that. But I remember that that was the first place where I saw import CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that I have that place to thank for how unusual my musical tastes were right up until i started coming to london and getting access to more shops like tower records just off piccadilly and stuff because mm. there was a place that would have records by the grateful dead they would have a bunch of uh, imports like blues traveler they would have imports by ben folds they would have all this music that i'd be finding out about via comics and other like periodicals imported from america from my local comic shop which was also in cheltenham and then i could go and kind of feed it, it was it, it took the money right out of my pocket but <laughs> i've got a lot to thank it for i bought my first dvds in a virgin megastore oh what were your first dvds first dvds were blow the johnny depp cocaine movie um existence the David Cronenberg uh, video game uh, movie, which is absolutely brilliant, and Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. My first DVDs were Mars Attacks, oh, which I film. still own that first copy. It was a double-sided disc, yeah. uh, widescreen on one side, full screen on the other, and an import of Ghost in the Shell. Oh, cool. Yeah, I went, I went pretty classy for my first couple of DVDs. We then seem to get a line from Games Master in our episode of Bad Influence where Andy Crane says, the finger twiddling and joystick juggling was all worth it. I actually had a note from earlier when we saw that Sonic 2 prototype where I thought that wouldn't appear on Games Master without a diamondism about the size of your floppy or something like that. 
I find it interesting that they mentioned the uh, the Future Tech Expo because my brain went, ah, that's odd. They never mentioned this on Games Master. <laughs> it's almost like they've got their own show to promote. Yeah, there's competing tech shows on. Mario is soon to reappear in Super Mario Kart on the SNES. That fearless little plumber has taken to the racetrack and has brought his mushroom world friends and enemies with him. Mario's been very busy as he appears again here in Mario Land 2 on the Game Boy due out early December. It promises to have all the fun of Mario Land and more. This time you can see Mario twiddle and spin and even fly when he gets some bunny ears. We then get a preview, a very brief preview of Mario Kart um, for the Super Nintendo. And then we get a preview for Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, where Mario can fly now. Due to bunny ears. Mm. And we're not talking about the air quotes we use a lot on this uh, podcast, but uh, it was nice to see. It was nice to see some moving footage of uh, six gold coins. It was nice to see it very crisp and with appropriate contrast and not what we'll get in a little bit, which is someone trying to focus a TV camera on the screen of a Game Gear. (laughs) It was nice that Nintendo either provided them with the kit or with the footage of what the game should actually look like. Still think gameplay requires too much effort. Meet the TurboTouch 360 control pad. It takes the strain out of pad bashing as it's touch sensitive. They claim to improve your scores by helping you play longer. Versions to fit most machines should be in the shops by January and will cost you around £20. And then Violet Berlin shows off the TurboTouch 360. It takes the strain out of pad bashing, which will improve your scores and is compatible with most consoles to cost you around £20. So it's a touchpad and they show a kid playing Mario with it. It was endorsed by Dr. Robert Grossman, an orthopedic surgeon specialising in sports injuries, I found out during my research. It is compatible with most consoles to the point of you can plug it in. It is, however, terrible. (laughs) because touch controls were not there yet a few years back ign ranked it the ninth worst video game peripheral of all time wow but i don't want to talk too much more about this because we're going to see this guy again in the very first issue of games master magazine oh interesting it's not our next bonus episode because our next bonus episode is going to be games master live but it'll be a bonus episode that comes after that This ghastly piece of plastic tat will come back to haunt us once more. (laughs) And now for a mega first. Streets of Rage 2, the unfinished version. All the street action you'd expect, plus the secret weapons hidden inside ordinary looking objects. This 16 meg game, the biggest ever for the Mega Drive, should be in the shops in January. Remember where you saw it first, here on Bad Influence. And then we get our preview of Streets of Rage 2. It's the biggest game ever for the Mega Drive, and you can find all sorts of secret items hidden inside regular-looking items. And they show footage of Axel beating up his mate, Max. And Ukraine playing again. (laughs) Man, Streets of Rage 2, though. What an absolute banging game that is. Absolutely fantastic game. It not only surpasses its predecessor it's just it's i think it is one of the best versions of its type of genre from this era absolutely and i'm also really excited because we're just a few weeks away from streets of rage 4 yes we are yeah in terms of this episode going out yeah yeah and i literally still don't know which platform i'm gonna buy it on (laughs) i might go nintendo switch purely because it means I've got Streets of Rage on the go, then. Yeah. Now for some more games reviews. First up, this week is Puppy for the Amiga. It's a game like nothing you've seen before, a mixture of platform, puzzles and adventure. Here, Gemma. 
The objective of the game is to collect spots, which are just robots, and to take them back to the spaceship so that they can go back to the home planet. Footy's a bit hard to control because it does so many things when it um, squidges and slimes. I like Putty's graphics because the colours make Putty stand out and the um, backgrounds are good with um, the tools. I like the sound effects, the way he screams and the gun shoots. Over there there's a punk rocker with um, some sunglasses and a gun who's trying to kill me. I definitely buy Putty and I've already recommended it to my friends. Right, we get our next set of reviews, and our first one is a game that we actually saw the development of on an episode of Games Master, Putty, where um, our little child playing it said that it's hard to control, but she does like the graphics and the sound effects. She would buy it, and she'd recommend it to her friends. This is another example of how trying to interview children while they're playing games is not a good idea. Oh, yeah. Like, when we're editing these episodes, I cut out large gaps between words just to make it flow a bit more because dead air is always terrible in any uh, spoken word medium and there were some gaps there when i said that and they won't be there by the time you hear it (laughs) but you can't easily do that when you're filming a vox pop piece like this because man there is some awkward silences as she tries to juggle controlling this blob of blue tack and answer questions that she's been given by a uh, runner from off screen Well, an older lad says that underneath it's not that good a game and a different girl says that it's not too fast and it's actually pretty playable. And I think this is our biggest discrepancy between the boys and girls score. The boys gave it two out of five and the girls gave it four out of five. I kind of personally believe it's somewhere in between. I would say this is a solid three game. I think it's fun. I think the sequel is better. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's also a game that definitely worked better on the Super Nintendo. Next is Super Smash TV for the Game Gear. It's a classic arcade shoot 'em up based on a futuristic TV game show. It's already appeared in other formats. Here's Lakesh. The graphics are kind of dull. Um, the idea behind it is quite simple. Just destroy everything on the screen and collect the power up. This is the new Sideman, and he's the end of level guardian for level one. To get through the level, it's fairly simple, but once you reach this guy, you need a lot of credits to get past him. He's very, I've been spending approximately 10 minutes just to complete this guy, and I'm not really getting very far, but I don't really know if I am. It's, oh, I'm dead. I won't really buy Smash TV. There are better games out for the Game Gear, and personally, I prefer Pac-Man for it. Speaking games that work better on the Super Nintendo, uh, here's a review of Smash TV for the Game Gear. Bloody hell, you want to talk about a console that is not designed to play Super Smash TV on? It's the bloody Game Gear. I'll be honest, the Quick Shot probably stood a better shot of running this game than the Game Gear. <laughs> and this also looks like a terrible review. I mentioned it earlier. They're pointing the camera at the Game Gear screen and there are ways to do that and ways to do that and unfortunately I do not think this is a way to do it. You need ideally a complete blackout area around the Game Gear and you need it framed so there's a slight bit of overscan so you're not seeing the edges of the uh, bevel Mm. and they haven't done any of that and this game looks bad it also plays bad this game is bad yeah i would argue that the snes is the only home console 
that Smash TV really works on because you've got the directional pad, but you've also got the four buttons, the four facing buttons to be your directional fire. You know, um, nothing, the Mega Drive version is fine and all, but you need those four buttons, you need those four facing buttons to really get the most out of Smash TV. There's also something about the alignment of the four buttons as well, because they do kind of mirror a D-pad, so it, it works, it works well. You can hold down A and Y and get the kind of diagonal thing going yeah. on. You know, it, it treats it like it was a second joystick. I am somewhat baffled they chose to review this game on the first episode. There must have been better games they could have reviewed on the Game Gear, on any platform. They showed us a Neo Geo earlier. <laughs> I'm going to presume it's to give it like a broad spectrum of things because, you know, we've got previews that are Mega Drive games. We've also got previews that are Super Nintendo games. We then get a review of a Super Nintendo game, a review of an Amiga game, a review of a Game Gear game, and then a review of a NES game. So I'm wondering if it is they just picked out games that they could do for for each console so they weren't just sort of favoring one over the other i mean yes technically logically you're right but still don't think is... smash tv oh jesus you'd be better <laughs> off showing the game gear just switched off <laughs> batteries would have lasted longer <laughs> the lad playing it says like that he got to the end of level guardian um without dying but then has been shooting mutual man for for 10 minutes and he's not getting very far i prefer pac-man I'm with him on that one, on that particular platform. I would rather play Pac-Man than Smash TV on the Game Gear. <laughs> um, uh, the older lad that we saw earlier said that it's quite good, but you can't really see what's going on. And a different older lad says the directional fire doesn't really work on the Game Gear. The boys gave it two out of five. The girls gave it three out of five. I think that is very high from the girls. And in fact, actually, it's very high from the boys as well. Yeah, I believe this should have been a one and a two if you're going to have a single point discrepancy. But hey, you know, what do we know? And finally, it's battle page for the Meg. Here's Amanda. Graphics in this are really fun. And cartoons, and you can really take your aggression out on them. And one hidden at the moment is one of the monsters. And you've got to kill it twice in order for it to actually die. And then you pick up its bones, and you can hit them with this instead. This is level two and the gameplay is completely different. The graphics are really amazing. I mean, just look at these pictures and the music isn't irritating, which is really good as well. This game's just amazing and I definitely buy it. Well, scoring better is Battletoads for the NES. Um, and Amanda, which we discovered is the older lass's name, uh, really likes the graphics um, and doesn't think the music is irritating. A line which really made me laugh because it made me think of my wife, who absolutely hates 8 and 16-bit music. Absolutely hates it with a passion. How has your relationship <laughs> lasted this long? Because <laughs> the hours of chip tunes that you put into these episodes. Oh, yeah. Do you just have to keep your headphones really tightly rammed in? I was playing the uh, the Disney Afternoon Collection the other night uh, when uh, Kate went off to go do her teeth and she walked in while I was playing DuckTales and the look on her face where that music was playing was like, oh God, no, no, no. She just had to leave as quickly as she could and get out of the room. Yeah, she is absolutely not a fan. But, you know, according to Amanda, the musical Battletoads is not too irritating. So maybe I'll play some of that to my wife and see if she can get past that. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. She seems pretty bloodthirsty. Amanda, that is, not, not your other half. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. I don't think we've ever met. But anyway, and she she really is into beating the crap out of these enemies. Yeah. She's like, yeah, and it's really satisfying to punch them. Which is then like, because you would imagine then it would be the lads that would be on that. Like, we know the way that they're sort of like doing it, it's, it's gender stereotyping. But actually, the lad in this review thinks the game is good, but it's just gratuitous violence. Hang on, this is the same guy earlier that was more than happy to cave in Neanderthal's skull when it was an opportunity to rescue the women folk. His <laughs> words, not mine. So this says one of two things. Either he's a hypocrite or cue card. Yeah. Uh, and the little girl likes the graphics and thinks it's a good game. The boys give it four and the girls give it four. So solid round of reviews there. Yeah, and I would say that on average, reasonable review scores for them. Battletoads certainly deserves it. And how good did it look for a NES game? Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm amazed they never mentioned that it is just tough as balls, though. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the, the one thing we haven't really talked about there is that, yeah, Battletoads is... And I mean, actually, we may as well talk about it now because it's not going to come up again, I don't think, in our Games Master timeline. Battletoads is a great game, but it's nails. Absolutely nails on any platform yeah it's just it's a it's a thing and it's kind of a deliberate thing they just made an incredibly tough game i've never completed battletoads nope i've seen through to the end of the game via cheats and <laughs> level skips and whatnot but i couldn't sit there and say hand on heart that i have completed the game all the way through you know without using performance enhancing codes <laughs> yeah. action There's, replay basically yeah there is a video clip there from one of the european speed running uh tournaments that they did or sort of you know like speed run and, and things like that uh not speed run sorry what to call it um awesome games done quick like there's a, like a european version of it mm -hmm. and um they had i think it was the mexican runner there blindfolded to do the turbo tunnel and they say, like, just bear with it because this, he, you know, this is going to take a few tries because he is literally doing this by sound alone and by muscle memory. And the lad does it first try. And God it is an damn. absolutely mind-blowing experience to watch. It's so awesome. He didn't have someone in the audience coughing, did he? Cause... No. <laughs> Charles Ingram. Yeah. Because that's that level of... That's almost um, extrasensory perception kind of stuff. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Tip of the week. I hope you've still got that pen and paper ready. Remember, never share a joypad with someone who's been eating treacle sandwiches. Zool is the best-selling game this week on the Amiga, and here's how to cheat at it. When the game's loading, you get this screen. Type in goldfish. The screen flashes. Well, it would, wouldn't it? Because you're now in da, 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 da. cheat mode. Keys F1 to F6 let you choose any world that you want. There are some other cheats on the other keys, but you'll have to find those out for yourselves. And Namrud is back to tell us to never share controllers with someone eating treacle sandwiches. Um, to <laughs> Who eats a treacle sandwich? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was a 90s thing I've forgotten. Maybe it's a delicacy. Maybe people will call me out. That's fine. I think the concept of a treacle sandwich, which is essentially slapping sugar between two bits of bread, is a bit odd. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, he tells us that Zool is the biggest selling game on the Amiga this week, and if you type in Goldfish, you enter cheat mode, and you can then use the F keys to navigate between worlds, and apparently there are other keys that do other secrets, but you're going to have to explore those for yourself. I like that. I like the fact that he kind of gave them enough to be getting on with, but he encouraged people to, to find other avenues to find other exploits that was a nice little touch and i that made me smile he'll be turning up every week with tips and hints and cheats but don't let that put you off there'll be some interesting stuff too yeah we're going to be asking some serious questions of the game's manufacturers like why do console cartridges cost up to 65 pounds well, we then get, I would argue, probably the most passion out of Andy Crane in this entire episode because Violet says that this show is going to be asking the big questions. And then cuts to Andy, who goes, Yeah, like why do cartridge games cost up to £65? Mate, don't let him near the Neo Geo. Don't let him see the receipts <laughs> from that one because £65 will seem like nothing. It was the most passion we've seen out of him. And again, it kind of felt like another bit that was aimed at the parents that might be watching with their kids going... Don't worry, Mum and Dad, we've got your back come Christmas. We're going to be getting some answers to this. Yeah. But Bad Influence isn't just about games. We'll also be finding out about all the other exciting things computers can do, like this, for instance. And now for something completely different. I'm sorry, I'll say that again. And now for somebody completely different. Eh, that wasn't quite as painful as it looked. It's a computer trick called morphing, which is short for metamorphosing. You've probably seen it in commercials or films. Um, and they then say that Bad Influence isn't just about games. It's also about showing what computers can do. And I think this is what ties into the, the quote that Patrick had when we, at the start of this episode we were talking about, which was about, you know, it's supposed to be tomorrow's world for children. And I think the Z-Write section about virtual reality, I think why that gets the most time out of this episode is because that's what Patrick wants the show to be. He wants to, to be about what computers are doing and what sort of how technology is moving forward as opposed to the video game. The video game stuff is that's there to be sort of like your flair that's being shot up into the air to try and grab kids' attention to be like, hey, look, we're going to show you Streets of Rage 2. We're going to show you Sonic 2. But also, here's some educational stuff. And then they, they go to Igor, which is the, uh, the the robot that learns how to do things. They also show us what morphing is, um, which apparently was the, the screen test they did for Andy and Violet as well. Apparently, that's where they first met and, and really got on. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and so I think this is what Patrick wants the show to be. It's more this stuff, less of the, the Neo Geo stuff. In hindsight, this was actually a really, really good time for children's television. It does make me quite sad that while, yes, CITV exists as a channel, and we've got so many kids' channels on Freeview, on satellite, on cable, whatever, that that time slot that kind of 3.45 to 5.30 time slot doesn't matter anymore. This isn't a used to be, you know, used to be better things were all fields. It just makes me a little bit sad because it was a special time. It really was. And we then get plugs for the Bad Influence magazine, which we've talked about at a sort of length throughout this show. Uh, it's going to be available in mid-November, but as we've previously mentioned, it sadly only lasted for two issues. Uh, and then we find out there's a competition where you've got to name the creatures that are in the logo, send your answers, and you could win a SNES action pack with the Super Scope. Man, this... It this kid holding this super scope, I felt nervous just when he turned it around and trained it at the camera. The look in his eyes, it was the thousand yard stare. That was some scary stuff. 
that was what they were. They were humanosaurs. Humanosaurs. There we go. Brad and Dina. Oh, Brad and Dina. I've written here Fred and Zena, so I was way off. I was going to say the D on Dina's top should have been a bit of a hint. Oh, maybe. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't have won that Super Scope. I would not have done, no. Um, we won't talk about the Super Scope much more now because, as a bit of a preview, it's in next week's episode of Games Master. It's the oh, first yeah, challenge. So we'll talk about the Super Scope a little bit more then. Don't forget to video the data blast for the address. That starts in a couple of seconds. And we'll leave you with a clip of Sonic 2. It's a very special secret level that only two people and a blue hedgehog know the code for. See you Saturday 9.25 for What's Up Doc. Take care. Bye-bye. And Andy Crane tells us to watch What's Up Doc this coming Saturday. Don't you worry, Andy. I certainly will be. Cheap plug for his other show. <laughs> And they leave us with Sonic 2 and a, quote, super secret level that only they know the code for. It's just the bonus stage. That must be a shock to the developers. <laughs> the yeah. developers are going, they, they, put a, they put something in the game? You gave them the prototype? Yeah. At the time, that would have probably been pretty cool for a kid. And by the time the game came out, they'd have probably forgotten all about that. Completely. Because when you see and you see that bonus stage and you hear that music watching that bonus stage made me want to go and play sonic 2 as much as i love sonic mania and i do love sonic mania i think sonic mania is a great game good because we'd have issues if you didn't uh, well i you know and I, I think it's an absolutely flawless game but i fucking hate those bonus stages i fucking hate the chaos emerald stages they can right off because I, I, I didn't like them with sonic cd and i don't like them now on sonic mania they can just off and i would have much preferred them to have been the bonus age from sonic 2 because those were fun i have never heard <laughs> you swear that much in a single statement that I was hate, beautiful hate them so much and as, do you know why i hate them because i suck at them I'm, oh, awful, okay. I'm, I'm dreadful at them and it really annoys me because i want to collect all the chaos emeralds and i can't because i suck at it I'm patting you on the head from a distance. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Social distancing. <laughs> but as Sonic 2 fades out, we get a countdown on the screen. It's time for the data blast. It's time for that section of the program that you record and you pause and you play and you rewind and you play and you pause. And within about a week, it looks like a video rental copy of Basic Instinct. Yes, <laughs> that scene. It's so much fun to be able to do this in a digital medium where it's really easy to go frame <laughs> by frame. I just want to go back to my early 90s self and go, shh, it'll be okay. <laughs> and I believe you did go through it frame by frame. I went through it mostly frame by frame. The one thing I can tell you is there is a lot of filler in this first one. There's a lot of cheats. There's a lot of Namrud stuff in there, which is pretty cool. There's also chunks of text, which were essentially just Andy's teleprompter for when talking about Sonic 2. There are chunks of the blast that are essentially what you just watched in the previous episode. Oh, interesting. Now, whether that happens in future episodes, I don't know. I didn't skip that far ahead to look. I did watch some of episode two, and they did make reference to Games Master in that, so they did at least acknowledge that there was another show already in existence. But this first data blast is a lot of filler. There's a glossary of bad influence terms, which includes such things as the word turnip, defined as a nasty tasting vegetable. You're not cooking it properly. <laughs> Apparently Jurassic equals excellent. Triassic, not as excellent. 
and oh. a definition of the term sprite, which is good because that thing is thrown around a lot in this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's a great idea. There's also actually a couple of times when pages repeat themselves for no apparent reason. Hmm. I think they were still trying to get the technology of this thing sorted out. Well, that, that wraps it up. That was the first episode of Bad Influence, the sort of like not competitor show to Games Master, but certainly an interesting time in our Games Master timeline that we're currently revisiting. What did you think of the show? I think it has definitely not aged as well as a lot of Games Master. Even season one, when at times it was really clunky, Games Master Season 1 also has the advantage in that there was so much filth that it covered up a lot of the cracks. This just feels clunky and they don't give it time to breathe. And I've got to believe that was a deliberate stylistic choice. For me personally, now, that feels like a mistake. Teenage me, I don't know, but this was not as important to me as Games Master at the time. It was probably not something that I watched as often as I would watch Tomorrow's World or Johnny Ball Reveals All, or Blue Peter even. It felt very gimmicky. Yeah. It's saved by some really strong performances and personas. It's saved by Nam Rood. Absolutely amazing. The guy behind Nam Rood, Andy Weir, would actually kind of return to the character a couple of years ago. Hmm. He appeared in an episode of Mr. Biffo's Found Footage, Paul Rose, oh. founder, co-founder of Digitizer. And he appeared as Vietnam Rude in a section that spoofed the consultation zone on Games Master, which had music recorded for it by other Chris, who recorded our theme music. Oh, amazing. Everything connects. <laughs> Violet Berlin is brilliant. Violet Berlin is this amazing energy and enthusiasm. And it still carries across really well now. Andy Crane is Andy Crane. He was stability. And also, he had a lot of history working with kids via What's Up Doc, via his previous uh, children's television stuff. He was a good foundation to build it on. It's a shame he doesn't really remember much about it, but it's also maybe understandable because it wasn't necessarily a passion for him. It was just a job. Yeah. Uh, I, I did enjoy like revisiting this episode. It, it I agree with you that it does not hold up as well as Games Master does. And I have not watched other episodes of Bad Influence, but I would be, you know, quite curious to go and watch episode two and episode three and such. And I do have fond memories of the show. So I very much enjoyed revisiting it. But you're, yeah, I, I think my overall takeaway is that while Games Master, even its first series, has aged quite well and is still very, very watchable, this has not aged quite so well and it is not quite as watchable particularly just with how bloody quick it is and 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 you know it's it, it promised me a preview of streets of rage 2 and i really did not get a preview of streets of rage 2 nor did i really get a preview of sonic 2 either the biggest detractor to watching this for me is something which can't be helped and it does actually make me appreciate how much of an easy ride we've had with games master thus far the quality of the video and pretty much all versions of this first episode of Bad Influence yeah. is terrible. And I blame the Data Blast. <laughs> yeah. Because I reckon that trashed a lot of videos. Yeah, most likely. It, it says a lot when I was actually looking for a tracking button on my iPad when I was watching it for the first time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I will go back and I will perhaps pick out some other key episodes of Bad Influence drop in across the series 
see what's going on see if there's any particular moments that I want to try and revisit or time periods to see what they were saying about Game X or Game Y because they're here for four seasons we see them cover bits of the 3DO bits of the Jaguar they're there up until the PlayStation Mm. so it'll be interesting to get a bit of a different perspective and who knows maybe we will take a look at another episode down the line nothing set in concrete yet but I wouldn't be adverse to it so we're going to try and score this bad boy that's a very good question. Let's mark it out of five. Well, yeah, I suppose actually then in, in sort of the spirit of things, we should try and score it out of five. So the Luke's gave it uh, three out of five. The Ashes gave it three out of five as well. Oh, well, that's very lovely then. Right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this bonus edition of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at underconsolepod. We're on Instagram at under.console. Um, we've also got a Patreon where you can hear next week's show a week early. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod to find out more about that. And uh, speaking to some of our existing Patreon backers, particularly the ones that have backed us at the merch level where you get an exclusive Patreon merch pack, we are working on that obviously social isolation lockdown and closure of non-essential businesses has made that a little bit tough i've had a little bit of communication issues with some of the companies i've been talking with but stick with us we'll make sure you're done right by and we appreciate your support Oh, yeah, absolutely. We do appreciate all the people that have backed us on Patreon so far who are trying to help us get to our first goal where we will launch a second podcast reviewing other 90s shows. Maybe we'll do another episode of Bad Influence. Or Noel's House Party. Or The Crystal Maze. Yeah. Or What's Up Doc if we can find one. Oh, uh, yes, I'd love an episode of What's Up Doc. I'm going to need to start uh, <laughs> buying boxes of VHS tapes off of eBay, aren't I? <laughs> this is how the ring begins. Well, we'll see you in seven days' time uh, where we return back to the games rig with episode six with special guest Matthew of Botchamania. Oh, nice. See you in seven days. Take care. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.